This is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vunganyi. Thank you so much for joining us today. It takes approximately five days and 13 hours to drive from Egypt to Cape Town in South Africa. But what if you decided to bike the distance? Well, that is estimated to take you anywhere from 41 days to over a year. As a filmmaker, I was extremely interested in documenting the whole continent and showing how diverse it is and how interesting it is. Um, but also, I love the physical aspect of cycling. I think it's one of the best ways to travel. You meet a lot of locals along the way. You uh, cross paths with people that you would never cross paths in a nine-to-five job, you know. That is cyclist, adventurer, and filmmaker Roberto Helu, who is on a mission to ride the distance that spans over nine countries. He's doing this together with his friend, Florence Ryan. They are documenting their journey, the landscape, people, and cultures along the way. I caught up with them on their stop in Kigali as they made their way to Burundi. And next, we answer the question, how do you make business more beautiful? Of ambiguity, of playfulness, we see everything through the lens of emotional intelligence and the arts and try to change the language of business, but then also the the practices. That is Tim Liebrecht, a German-American author and entrepreneur. He's one of the founders of House of Beautiful Business. He describes it as a platform and community that strives to make humans more human and business more beautiful. He joins me from Madrid together with social entrepreneur and writer Hannah Bezad to talk about the House of Beautiful Business Festival, which will be held on the African continent for the first time next year in 2024. But first, before we get into our conversation, let's hear from you, our listeners. Research shows that the persisting gender gap in STEM, that is science, technology, engineering, and math subjects, limits diversity and the developmental potential for many African countries. And many experts advise that closing the gap is not only essential for innovation, but also an economic necessity. So we asked you, what should be done to close the gender gap in STEM? Here is what you said. Girls are good in science, so we just need to change that mindset of boys being the best in in town. And then there are some doctors who are around, and there are female doctors. Those doctors should be coming out, speaking in public, telling girls that they have done it, and they can also do it in school. Yeah, The, the doctors who are female should be role models. And they should be informing the other girls who are in schools that science is good for them and they can do well. Uh, what should be done is to, as in done, to encourage girls to take science subjects. I think uh, first of all begins at home. Uh, parents should be educated. They should be taught how you know to in- involve the girls and let me say generally the children to teach them some things at home. Sometimes they feel they fear the science subjects because science normally when you talk about it it is more to do with you know the reproductive organs and other things with the human being. That is what normally goes to your mind. Now the thing is like this, you know, we girls actually we, we tend sometimes to branch away from the science subjects. When you try to look at the nurses and, 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 and the doctors we have around there, majority are men. So what I want to say and maybe what can encourage them to do science is are the teachers themselves at school.
Welcome back. This is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vongani. It is said that driving from Cairo in Egypt all the way down to Cape Town in South Africa will take you around 5 days and 13 hours. But what if you chose to ride the entire distance? Well, that might take you anywhere from 41 days to more than a year. That is according to some estimates. My next guests are on a mission to make that trip on their bikes, cycling all the way from the Nile Valley in Egypt down to Cape Town in South Africa. That is an estimated distance of 13,000 kilometers. I caught up with them on their stopover in Kigali, Rwanda, as they prepared to go through Burundi and then Tanzania. On their way, Roberto Helu, a filmmaker and adventurer, together with his friend Florence Ryan, are capturing and documenting every aspect of their journey from the landscape to the people to the cultures. They tell me that even though the trip is physically challenging, it is an enriching experience that they hope will open a window into the many communities and people they meet along the way. My name is Rob and I'm Lebanese and I'm a filmmaker and traveler and adventurer and storyteller. Awesome. <laughs> and my name is Flo Florence Ryan. I am also um, a filmmaker, a traveler, and I make, uh, yeah, right now we're both cycling across Africa, actually, okay. from Cairo to Cape Town. And we're about halfway there and we're here in Kigali. So we for, just randomly met in Kigali. Yeah, literally, I don't You're cycling from... From what? Uh, you're cycling from Egypt to South, South Africa. Africa. South Africa, Cairo, Cape Town. Correct. That Cairo, Cape Town. That's a long trip. Yeah. Okay. Let's start with inspiration part. How did you start? What motivated you to get on this journey? I think it was just uh, looking at a map and being like, "This has to be done." You know, it's as simple as that. Uh, sometimes we don't really need to find deeper reasons to why we want to do things we just feel like that's the way things should be mm. and obviously there's a bunch of other reasons why i wanted to do this i think africa is a continent that is completely undervalued and misunderstood and as a filmmaker i was extremely interested in documenting the whole continent and showing how diverse it is and how interesting it is um but also i love the physical aspect of cycling i think it's one of the best ways to travel you meet a lot of locals along the way you uh cross paths with people that you would never cross paths in a nine to five job. You know, mm -hmm. it's exposing yourself to certain different events and that really opens so many things uh, in your life, mm -hmm. uh, your mind especially. And so a combination of doing something that's physically uh, challenging, challenging, which is cycling, mm -hmm. uh, with uh, the fact that uh, the, the terrain... The adventure be, part of it. Exactly. Yeah. And the place, I mean, Africa, it's, it's just a huge continent. Yeah. And um, it, it just fascinated me. So while I was looking at the map one day, I was like... In 2017, I was still in school. I was like, I want to do this. And people around, obviously, they, they're like, dude, like, You're why, don't you, why don't you pick a normal job? You know, like, <laughs> Get a nine to five. And, and they're right, you mm -hmm. know. But the thing is, some people are built different. They want to just um, take more risks. Yeah. And especially when you're young, I think it's the best yeah. time to do projects like this yeah. that are risky and where you can learn the most and where you can uh, grow outside of your comfort zone, basically. Absolutely, absolutely. And when Flo, I met Flo, she yeah. was interested. Yeah, we met in 2019 and uh, I where? was kind of on a gap year in Spain. Mm. Um, I just finished law school and I was kind of in between phases. And so I met Rob and he was like, I want to cycle across Africa. And at the time I was like, oh, sure. Like I'll have probably some time at the end of my gap year and I'll join you for like a month or two. And then very quickly with COVID and stuff, I kind of decided I didn't want to pursue law and I wanted to do something else that's more creative. And I had more time obviously then. So I was like, I'll just join the whole thing. So we've been planning it since. 
And with COVID, we couldn't start, but we managed to start this year in January. And so, so you started in January. We are in December. How many countries have you done so far? So six. far, six. Six countries. Mm-hmm. What has been the most challenging country for you in terms of terrain? Uh, Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Uh, because... Uh, you go up to like 3,000 meters above sea level. The altitude. The altitude, yeah. altitude, yeah. altitude and the, uphill. the uphills. I mean, the, the incline is really rough there. It goes slow. up to like 25%, 30% sometimes. Yeah. Uh, over dozens of kilometers. So it's quite yeah. rough. Also, the people there, um, unfortunately, are quite hostile towards foreigners, mm. not just uh, Europeans or uh, Westerners, but also other Africans. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's the reality. And uh, we got a lot of rocks thrown at us and uh, got spit out. I mean, I'm not yeah. going to go into the details, <laughs> but it was, it was a very rough place to cycle mm. in. But on the other side, on the flip side, it's probably one of the, if not the most interesting place I've ever visited in terms yeah, of culture, yeah. beautiful landscapes. I mean, it's just totally unique. It's, it's like if Ethiopians looked at the rest of the world, studied every culture out there, and they were like, okay, we're going to do it differently. Yeah. And they did so. Wow. They did so yeah. in every possible way, whether yeah. it's religion, whether it's architecture, whether it's cultural habits, body language, even alphabet. I mean, it's probably the, one of the only scripts that is like, Totally African. Absolutely. That is completely unique. Mm. Most African languages are... Passed are, down orally. Or passed down orally, yeah. and then there's the Latin alphabet equivalent of it. But Amharic is, like, totally unique, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, Ethiopia is not even a country. It's like a continent. Absolutely. The regions are completely different. They speak so many different languages. Over 130 million people. With uh, yeah, about, about that. About yeah. that no. Maybe a bit less. Maybe 110 or something. 110, like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Language yeah. barrier. How do you overcome that? Well, there's... Uh, a language is universal that's like body language basically yeah. smiles everyone can understand this um we speak a variety of languages in between us rob is lebanese so he speaks arabic i understand a bit of arabic as well so in egypt and sudan it was very useful um but yeah we just try to like learn as much as possible like the basics of a language to be able to communicate with people because i feel like it's what breaks the barriers so so much faster Mm -hmm. so as soon as we're in a country we learn the words for food water um basic numbers money so we so we're able to just like communicate we just keep in notes and uh we have like the english equivalent Mm -hmm. of the Mm -hmm. local word but uh, i think the only really challenging country in that and that regards was Ethiopia again. Because in Kenya because, and Uganda and Rwanda, people speak English. Yeah. Speak English. Mm. Yeah. Or they can understand English even if they don't speak it. Yeah. Um, also, Swahili is, is, is kind easier. of universal in this area. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And also, um, like, since uh, I speak Arabic, people can understand it. Swahili is like highly very similar. based yes. on Arabic. Yes. Too. yes. Uh, and yes, yeah, Sudan and Egypt were very easy. I mean, it's, it was all Arabic there. Uh, so, yeah, Ethiopia again, it's, it's <laughs> the one that stands out again. Yeah, until now. <laughs> I'm chatting with Roberto Helu and Florence Ryan. Both of them are cycling all the way from Cairo in Egypt all the way down to Cape Town in South Africa. What kind of bike do you carry? Do you have and how, what, what kind of stuff? So do you we have, have a bike? Ste- steel frame bike. Uh, it's the most solid uh, for those type of expeditions. It's like a year plus, right? Um, and we carry everything we need. To, to do whatever our we do. Our bike is our home for the mm. year, basically. So, so what do have, you need on this trip have, like this? We have anything for sleeping. So we have tents, sleeping bags, mattresses, pillows. We have clothes, obviously. Mm. Um, first, a very extensive first aid kit um, with like all kinds of medicines that we could need, uh, syringes, stuff like that. Camera um, gear, electronics, tools. Because you're also documenting. Exactly. Documenting. Hard drives, that's the heaviest yeah. part of it. Um, and then like yeah bike tools replacement parts basically how, and then, how do you access internet 
uh, we don't most of the time. That's a big challenge. That's mm -hmm. why we tend to stay longer in big cities to be able to edit, to be able to share. communicate, share, etc. Um, and also when you stay longer in a city because you're forced to edit in, you see a lot of the ugly sides of countries. It's not just a highlight reel of when you travel for two weeks a year, you know, mm -hmm. it's a lot more complex than that. And uh, but that also, with that also comes in-depth um, understanding of a country. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you see negative stuff, you can understand, like, where is this going? Why is this happening? Mm -hmm. And you, then you dig into history, into politics, into culture, mm -hmm. into ideologies. And that's been really fulfilling despite the short-term um, hardships, you know? Uh, sometimes, yes, yeah, some, some cities are rough to stay in, um, but, uh, I mean, it's, it's, that, that's the intention of doing this trip. Also, it's, it's a, a quest for truth in, in, in the best ways possible, which is being on the field, looking mm -hmm. around, seeing, meeting, instead of just reading books. Books are awesome, but they just show you a skewed version of of what actual reality is. Right. So you're, I, you're in, oh, go ahead, finish. I up. also think like the fact that we're traveling by bicycle just gives this whole trip so much depth um, as opposed to like a normal tourist or a more typical tourist that comes in a car that would go from A to B from the hotel to the national park. And yeah, we, we, we don't really have a choice. Like if we want to eat, we have to go to the village. We have to interact with locals. And so it's just, yeah, the, just the fact that we're on the bicycle makes it very rich. Mm. So we're in Kigali. How did you find yourself in Kigali? We entered through Chanika border in the north, and then we cycled through Rusheri from, from, from Uganda. From Uganda, Uganda. Uganda exactly, exactly. So you did your two, your, you okay? So you went from which countries have you been? Like, did we say so? Egypt, Sudan, Ethiopia, Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda. How many days do you spend in each country? On average, two to three months. Two to three months. Yeah. Okay. But now I think it's going to change a bit because mm -hmm. now the terrain is going to be a lot more desert-like. I think Western Tanzania, there's going to be a lot of bush and desert, not a lot of cultural things to document or like cities with a lot of riches. It's Western Tanzania, so it's very different from, from the rest of the country. Zambia also, a lot of bush. Um, then Botswana and Namibia is all desert almost. How do you know which roads to use? Um, it's a mix between finding what we think is the most interesting along what route like we compare all the our time point of, yeah we have a map with all our points of interest and we mm. try to like link them but it's but. a mix of this but also seeing how what route is the most safe to to take so mm. i really wanted to explore somalia and south sudan but right now i think it would be suicidal to, right. to go through mm. this and, and i wanted to ask you about sudan because sudan right now as we know is oh. going through a war. We, we were lucky we were so lucky so we entered sudan in february and then we left in March, in, in, in April, like the first week of April. So like we entered Ethiopia and five days later, the war broke out in Sudan. So we really escaped it by the week and we were so lucky. I think we're probably one of the, like some of the last travelers that were able to go on a tourist visa and explore the country. And so we feel very privileged because it was one of my favorite parts of the trip, especially in Northern Sudan, Nubia was- Yeah, extremely beautiful. underrated and extremely remote. As yes, well. and the people were like the friendliest, most hospitable, the kindest people we've ever, like I've ever met. And so, yeah, it's such a shame to be able to see To think that happening. they're going through that type of- uh, Yeah, and a lot of our friends that we suffering. were there with have like mm. left their homes, they're trying to escape or have escaped the country and it's really, really tough. And mm. I don't know how, in like how long, if it does recover, like how much time it's gonna be, but, yeah, it's it's Africa is changing a lot. Even in northern Ethiopia, there's a lot of conflicts now. Like we went to the Rwenzori Mountains in Uganda, and the glaciers are estimated to be melted, completely melted in the next 15 to 20 years. So 
it's changing a lot and this and is why, it's, that's why it's important that you capture some of exactly, these things before, before yeah, humanity gone. like loses it completely yeah. Yeah. Where next after here from up from Kigali? Burundi through Rua border and then we'll be entering Tanzania early Jan. Mm. Yeah. How many hours do you bike on average a day? It depends on each country, but usually I'd say from the top of my head maybe six hours. Like four to six hours. Mm. Sometimes a bit more as well, depends. On average, that's why I said. Yeah. Usually it's like from sunrise to sunset with breaks for lunch, dinner. What is the most challenging part of the trip in terms of cycling? Is it the terrain? Is it the people? It depends Who has on a different each... answer than yeah. I. Yeah, <laughs> it depends on the it depends on the country. Um, some is the train because it's a lot of uphills. Uphills are a lot more effort than obviously going down flat. Some countries it's the heat and the humidity or like crazy winds, which we had like in Sudan and the desert or like northern Kenya. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's definitely physically challenging. Like every day you, you face challenges. You have back pain, you have a butt pain or something. Mm. But um, yeah, it's just about like pacing yourself and, and, and like taking breaks when you did. What, what were you going to say? Yeah, for me, I think the cycling part in terms of the hardships I expected, I mean, they, they've been met. I, I haven't had anything that really surprised me or that was out of the ordinary. It's not that hard. I think overall for me, at least psychologically, uh, physically, it's obviously challenging, but I expected it, you know. What was, was the hardest for me during this journey is knowing when to compromise um, experiences to be able to edit and to be able to sit down and really zone in to um, share a story, to mm. create, um, assemble, and, and share a story. And that's been the most challenging by far. I think cycling in the desert for a month nonstop mm. with crazy winds and sun, like it's like I signed up for that, you know? But I didn't know that this trip was gonna be as interesting as it is for me to want to put that much effort in everything. I think the I hard make. part is, yeah, it's saying no to opportunities and saying no to things. Because in each country we arrive, mm. we start learning so much about, oh, we just want to spend like three months here and like see but all the things. But we can't, but we can't. We can't do gotta, everything. We've got to be consistent. We've got to be the algorithm. The algorithm you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I wanted to ask you, you told me earlier that uh, along the way, sometimes you have cyclists that join you yeah. along the way, right? Yeah. How do you meet these people? And so... What, what is that kind of relationship like? Um, so uh, the two of us basically cycle the whole thing together. But then we also have, I think we've had like 10 people join us on the trip so far in the last year. Sometimes we just meet them, they're travelers um, spontaneously. We meet them and then we say, oh, why, why don't you join us? And then they just say, yeah, sure, why not? Um, sometimes it's friends of ours that are following the adventure on social media that um, have some free time that take them off and just fly out to wherever we are and join us. Um, on one occasion we met uh, it was in Kenya like a Kenyan female cyclist so she was actually the only girl that joined us on the whole trip on the whole trip so she joined us for a leg as well so a lot of it is like just in person by pure chance but Mm. also because we're able to share our videos online and share the trip then we attract people that are like-minded that are curious that are outdoors outdoorsy and so they yeah, that's kind of kind of how we was was this your first visit to Africa before? Have you been to Africa before? Uh, this is my first time. Yeah. That's why I was very excited. Flew lived in Senegal for three years. Yeah, yeah. That's but... interesting that you you know the first time you're coming to Africa, you're actually doing this like one of the most challenging things. Yeah, I think. I mean, I'm... I think it would be a shame to just come to Africa and just spend like a one week on a safari. Right. I, feel, I feel like it's there's so much more to it. But I mean, so I, when, I like right, right before we, we we came, you came in here. You were ed- I found you editing videos, yes, and yes. I can imagine as a person like myself also editing. There's a lot you leave on the editing floor. Like you don't. When do you how how do you decide what to share and what not to share? 
So I think the hardest thing is not in the editing, it's in the filming. There's so many things we go through and that we live that we don't film. Like probably 95% of our Africa journey is not Otherwise filmed. it would be impossible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And within the editing process, um, it's just about finding the skeleton of the story, the main line, and being able to kill your babies, kill your mm-hmm. darlings. That's mm-hmm. the expression we use for sacrificing something I, I, good for I something great. I can appreciate great. that. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> I saw from Burundi, you're going to Tanzania. And then where, where Zambia, else? Zambia, Botswana, Namibia, and South Africa. And, and uh, Cape Town is your, your final Cape destination. Cape Town is the final destination mm. for this project. Mm. We'll see if there's another one coming up next. Wow. Yeah. I like that. You're already looking forward to... Oh, I have an endless <laughs> amount of ideas of yeah. things to do. How, how, how can people follow your journey? Are you doing live streaming on your trip? Or uh, you just... Across all social medias, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. YouTube and Instagram are our biggest platforms, yeah. Flo and I. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Explore Rob and like no, Explore. Like no, without the E, without okay. the Explore Rob. E X P L O R O B. And then mine is No Flomo, N O F L O M O. But if you look on YouTube, you can also find Project Africa yeah. or. And through our Instagram, our we get our links as well. Yeah, yeah, Florence Ryan and Roberto Heaven. What has been the one thing visually that has like blown your mind? I think the Renzori Mountains. Yeah, that was incredible. The the Renzori Mountains are a mountain basically chain that's right on the border between Uganda and Congo. And it's the most, like, it was the most epic hike that I've ever done. You, you hike through jungle and marsh, like, mud and swamps for three days. And then you arrive at, like, 4,500 meters and it started snowing. And we're climbing through glaciers at three wow. in the morning. And there's, it's incredible. It's like glaciers some, in Africa. Yeah, it's yeah. like some of the last tropical glaciers on the planet. And like I said earlier, they're, they're disappearing. Like in 20 years, they're going to be gone and the mountain is going to be fully rock, no mm. more snow. So yeah, that was like one of the most mind-blowing experiences. I, think. I mean, there's a lot of spots, but I think Rinzuri is like top three. Mm. Yeah. Which countries are you looking forward to on, on, your, on your trip? Every on single part? one of them. The thing is, every time I enter a country, like all my expectations are shattered. I have a preconceived idea from like some snippets of stuff I've seen on social media, on like traditional media, books. the news, books. Yeah, exactly. And then I enter the country and I'm like, wow, this is not what I expected. Every country has been like that. It's just, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you, so you write an average of six hours a day. What, what are you doing when you're writing? Are you listening to music? Are you chatting with each other? Um, I think... At the beginning of the trip, the first three countries, we didn't listen to too much uh, music or podcasts or anything. We were mostly like dealing with locals or like just enjoying the ride the way it is. And now I think, I mean, myself, I've been listening a lot to podcasts and audiobooks. I mean, it's like a university class, you know, you listen to things, you you enrich yourself. Mm. I try to listen to things that are linked to what I'm doing or the country that I'm cycling through. Mm. So recently I was listening to a podcast called... uh, Real Dictators, which is a really good podcast. It's like the audio version of like a blockbuster movie. Mm. It's so good. And I was cycling through Uganda while listening to the Idi Amin podcast. Mm. I mean, the... the it's a five episodes. Episodes. Like seven episodes or something. And it's so interesting because you look at the face of people and you're like, wow, this person has lived directly through what I'm listening to. Music also in general. I mean, music helps the most when you're having a bad day or you're tired or it's like a draining day mm-hmm. in terms of heat or just you being tired. So emotionally, it helps just give you a mood boost. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I usually tend to prefer uh, uh, being productive with learning something by listening to books and mm-hmm. podcasts. Yeah. yeah, we're also filming a lot as we go. So we're filming everything like 
with their phones and cameras and stuff. So there's always something to do. There's always some, especially in this part of, I think Rwanda is the most densely populated country in Africa. It so is. there's yeah. always somebody anywhere you go. Like I, I can't even go pee behind a bush because there's always yeah. people yeah. around. But yeah. yeah, there's always people interacting with you, calling you muzungu, muzungu. So like, yeah, it's unavoidable. But yeah, there's always something happening going on. Has anybody done this before? Are you kind of pioneers in this thing? Um, Are you following the footpath or footsteps of somebody who has done it before? A you? lot of people have done that before. Uh, I think there's very few things that people haven't done before in the world. But I think the the truly unique thing that we're doing is combining two worlds into one, which is cycling this specific route that is w with obviously our own detours that we want to be doing while documenting it the way we are documenting it. I think no one ever did that the way we did, right. you know? With, with so much depth. Guys, thank, thank you so, you so much. much. Good thank luck on the rest of your trip. That was Roberto Helu and Florence Ryan. They're on a year-long cycling trip all the way from the Nile Valley in Egypt down to Cape Town in South Africa. This is Upfront on The Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Border Crossings. Join host Larry London. Larry London. On Border Crossings, VOA's only worldwide music request hour. Oh. Every weekday at 1500 Universal. Tune in for the biggest hits and amazing artists. Win prizes and get the latest news from exclusive celebrity interviews. Ooh. Send your requests to Facebook at VOA Larry London, Twitter at Border Crossings, or Instagram at Border Crossings VOA. Don't miss Border Crossings every weekday at 1500 Universal, only on The Voice of America. Welcome back. This is Upfront on The Voice of America. Now, the interconnections between technology and our society continue to be a defining characteristic of our era, transforming every aspect of our life, from the way we communicate to how we work. However, this rapid progress hasn't been without its challenges, and that's what the House of Business is trying to solve the House of Business is a think tank and community that explores the intersection of humanity and technology in the context of business and society. One of the founders tells me that they are on a mission to create a positive and meaningful vision for the future of work and business. Tim Lieberecht is a German-American author and entrepreneur. He's also the co-founder of the House of Business. He tells me that their annual festivals bring together a diverse group of thought leaders executives, entrepreneurs, and artists to engage in conversations, workshops, and events that focus on topics such as empathy, purpose, creativity, and the human side of business. He joins me from Madrid to talk about the upcoming festival to be held in Tangier, Morocco. It's the first time in Africa. We're also joined by Moroccan social entrepreneur Hannah Bezad. She's the author of the new book, Being Other. They're working together on the festival that will be held in Morocco. So the, the House of Beautiful Business is not an actual house. It is an idea. It's a virtual space. It's a community of, of uh, 50,000 professionals worldwide who share this mission to make business more beautiful. Now, what does that mean, <laughs> to make business more beautiful? It, for us, it means to make it more inclusive, more diverse, more sustainable, more purposeful, but also more imaginative, more playful, more more tender. And we we draw from the arts and the humanities for our experiences. 
um, and bring a lot of different disciplines to the conversation. We founded it in, in 2017. It started as an annual event in Barcelona. We then moved to Lisbon and Portugal. And every year we bring together 500 to 1,000 people from all over the world for this gathering. And it has now really grown into a community mm-hmm. um, with local hubs and chapters around the world. We do research and kind of achieve the impossible, which is, you know, beauty and business seem to be fundamentally at odds. But we believe that uh, beauty is is so crucial and it's mm-hmm. an, an end in and of itself. And beauty should, ser- uh, business should serve beauty and not just be, you know, beauty should be more than just a, and enhance it should be the, the goal of business. So Hannah, you, you've been part of uh, these events before, correct? Okay. Yes. Um, ever since we met Tim and I uh, back in 2018, actually shortly before we met you and I, Jackson, I had the chance to partake in the house festivals. I was invited as a speaker then for a session on Africa, um, early sharing my work on you know, the, the coding school that I had set up and the Pan-African initiatives that I had uh, helped shape. Um, and then I came back again. And whenever I was living in Rwanda, I actually also helped uh, creating a local gathering whenever it had to be done kind of in a hybrid mode with the pandemic. So, yes, ever since mm-hmm. 2018, I've been a loyal and a and, uh, uh, loyal member of the house and very much in awe of how it, it transforms its people. It definitely transformed me and connected me to the city of Lisbon, where I now live. That was Tim Lebrecht and Hannah Bizard. Tune in for the second part of our conversation on next week's episode of Upfront. And with that, we come to the end of our show today. Many thanks to all of you for tuning in. Remember to connect with us on our social media platforms. We are at VOA Africa on Instagram and on Facebook. I'm Jackson Vungani, wishing you a great week ahead, Africa. Thank you.